Jersey Joe is here for a two-part crossover. So in part one, we're going to talk about Jersey Joe's team awards and also his opinions on the historic season by the New Jersey Devils. There's a lot to break down in today's episode with Jersey Joe. Buckle up, everybody. You're Locked On Devils, your daily podcast on the New Jersey Devils. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, this is Bryce Salvador, and you're Locked On Devils with Trey Matthews. All righty now, what is up, New Jersey? Welcome back to the Locked On Devils podcast here on Locked On Network. I'm your host, college hockey play-by-play announcer, Devils Ryder for Pucks and Pitchforks, and also part-time credential media member, Trey Matthews. I am joined alongside Jersey Joe. He is the host of Heads Up Hockey podcast, and he is also a fellow writer of mine over at Pucks and Pitchforks, recurring guest on my show. Jersey Joe, I literally spoke to Christy Flannery of the Hockey News not too long ago, and now... Here you are, and we're going to talk uh, a little bit about the same thing. This is the time of the year where I like to bring in as many Devils content creators as I possibly can and reflect on the season. And uh, Jersey Joe, I know you got a lot to share. So uh, before we start, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, it's great to see that you had uh, fun in uh, France, uh, Angleterre, uh, France and England. For those who are monolinguals, I just had to translate for that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah, I also went to uh, London, England for a few hours. But yeah, I think a lot of people know what you're referring to. And it's good to be back on uh, United States terra firma. So Jersey Joe, let's get right into it. So let me get your thoughts on this past season for the New Jersey Devils. Like what went right and why were they able to have such a historical season? Was it a success? Curious to hear your thoughts. Well, first off, let's talk about the power play. I mean, Given the fact that the year before under Mark Recchi, the team was atrocious on the power plays, might as well you give up the power play. That's how terrible it was the, the season before it. But under Nazardine, they really popped, but they got above NHL average. So that's just something that I really wanted to see. It was an improvement. They're in the step in the right direction. Now they got Travis Green, and I expect that team to pop even more. Uh, by another five uh, spots at least. And if they are top 10 team or top five team, look the freak out. Um, one of the things that really went right was Jack Hughes had a 99-point season. And I said before, last year, I expect him to go around the 100-point mark. And I was on the money. Even though he was a few games off with an injury injury, had not been for that one moment, he would have eclipsed 100. Yeah, I mean, I think also Jack Hughes sort of went on a little bit of a slump to uh, towards the end of the year. He started to pick it up at the right possible time, which is why he was able to surpass Taylor Hall and also Patrick Eliash for uh, the record for most points in a single season uh, by the Devils. Because I remember that was actually a talking point at uh, – uh, during the uh, late in the year, because I was saying like, I don't know if he could surpass Patrick Eliash, but could he surpass Taylor Hall? I said, he's going to have to go on a tear because he is slumping, but he was able to accomplish it. Well, another thing is uh, ever since the Taylor Hall trade, Jesper Bratt has popped. 
Jack Hughes has popped. And then you go on to look at since the Timo, I mean, prior to the Timo Meyer trade, you have guys like Kevin Ball, Dawson Mercer with those asset picks and uh, acquisitions. Guys like Ball flourish in the system. Now, you see what he can do now in the playoffs in the regular season. He is being the Sasquatch I always talked about, and he has proven to be what I envisioned him to be. And that trade tree has really paid dividends, especially with the blossoming Dawson Mercer. And I will say this, he's going to get at least three to five year deal with the Devils. That's my take right now. Maybe five and a half million plus signing bonuses. Well, we're not at that point yet where we talk about expectations going forward. But uh, Neil, I think it goes without saying, and uh, Chrissy pretty much said the same thing. This season was a success for the Devils. Absolutely. It yeah. wasn't just a success. It was a freaking masterpiece. Yeah. I we mean, spread I, the needles. I just had to ask the question, but it's it was a historic season for the Devils. They got 52 wins. They were able to have the most uh, point turnaround in, in, uh, in NHL history. Uh, what, like plus 49? Uh, and... Um, yeah, it was just a it was just a great year for the Devils, and they surpassed a lot of expectations. They they surpassed my expectations because I thought they would be sort of like that bubble team, but they were able to um, uh, surprise a lot of people. So it kind of leads into the next subject. In your eyes, and you could choose a lot of players. You could choose like Jack Hughes, Nico Heischer, Jesper Bratt. I wouldn't be surprised if you choose Vitek Vanacek or Timo Meyer, whatever the case might be. But during the regular season. Who was your MVP? Ooh. Oh, my God. Um, I will have to resort with the center on this one, and it's going to be Nico Heischer. Why? He was playing to that Pavel Datsyuk level of takeaway versus giveaway hockey and 77-ish points. You know, if you take the amount of uh, takeaways he did – and you subtract maybe another five or ten next season of those giveaways, and he takes it in more in takeaways, those could be more points in the bank for the Devils. And that could also be another thing I would relate to, is points reallocated to guys like Tyler Toffoli on his wings. So I really think Nico Heischer's only getting started, not just, you know, you know, hit a, uh, a crescendo. I really think he has another level in him. I, I maybe another eight points. Uh, I could see him going for 85. If uh, they have the guys on the wings, they currently have on the roster, like a Timo Meyer, who can add the size, the grit and the mentality to just frustrate uh, opposing goaltenders. Yeah. That's my thing. Uh, at the beginning of the year, some of uh, some people who I, you know, associate myself with, they were saying like the 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 phrase Nico Heischer and superstar. They felt as though that ship had sailed because they said no. he could still be he could still be a solid center or or a solid contributor on any roster. And I was like, give him a chance because I said COVID didn't really help him. Uh, he was injured for two for two thirds of that fifty six uh, COVID uh, season. We all know the circumstance around that. Uh, he had to deal with some injury last year. 
So that was my thing, which was if he could stay healthy and and play in a decent amount of games, I think we would see big things from Nico. And he played in the most amount of games that he's ever played in since his rookie year. And it should be no surprise that he finished second in the Selkie race. So that's my thing. Nico was if you chose Nico to be your MVP, I'm not going to call you crazy because it doesn't start without our captain. And I must say. When it, when it comes to, like, interviewing people in the locker room, Nico is one of my favorite players to, to talk to because I can always rely on him to give me a good soundbite or to give me a great response. And sometimes I, I forget I'm talking to, like, what, like a 23- or 24-year-old kind of uh, kind of guy. He's only a few months older than me. So it's just, like, I, I got to take that into consideration, which is, like, he is, he is wise beyond his years. And I can see why he is so beloved in the locker room. Well, one of the things that I learned about Nico Heischer in his draft season that still relates to this day, and one of the reasons why I fell in love with him when he was a top pick in that draft was his demeanor and his directness. A lot of Swiss and Central Europeans are very cut and dry when it comes to being direct, but also he had that, you know, that friendliness in the locker room potential I saw in interviews and you know what, that's another part of my scouting that I do when it comes for prospects. You don't want to just marry the player just for their skill set and their work ethic. You got to see how they are off the ice as well. So that's another thing that uh, organizations want to be part of their brand. And Nico Heischer is that brand piece. You don't need a Mac David. You just need a Jack Hughes and a Nico Heischer that are going to be those uh, pillars for many years and they are going to be there for a good amount of time. And it's only a matter of when number four gets hoisted. Before we continue today's discussion, I want to tell you guys about FanDuel and like always, please remember to gamble responsibly. So take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Just 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's $200 you can spend betting everything from the money line to the over and under to who you think is going to hit the first home run of the game, all in an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. There's no better way to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 on bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, the official partner of Major League Baseball. All right, back to today's discussion. Take it away once again. So, yeah, uh, Nico, great leader in the locker room. Personally, my MVP, and I told Christy this, and we both agreed on it, Jack Hughes in my eyes because of the narrative that just surrounded his season. I, I think for anyone who listens to my show religiously, they already know what I'm going at, which is like, there was a lot of doubt going into this season. There was a lot of question marks surrounding Jack. I said, if he can have a Taylor Hall type of year, put this team on his back, then he was definitely going to be uh, have his name mentioned in the MVP discussion. That's what I said. That, that, that was my expectation for him. And if I had to pick the over and under in terms of him getting 100 points next year, I'm going to take the over all day, every day, because – I think this upcoming year is finally going to be the year in which a Devils player is going to reach 100 points. So Jack Hughes has already broken Patrick Elias's record, and he's only uh, scratched the surface. He's still in his early 20s. And a lot of his teammates can back him up on this, which is 
they don't believe he's reached his full potential. There's so much in store for someone like Jack and his uh, potential. Now, when I asked him, like, you know, is um, reaching the MVP status or one day winning it, I said, is that on your repertoire? Is that one of your goals? He was very nonchalant about it. He was like, you know, the season just ended. I'm going to put my feet up. I'm not really thinking about it. I know in the back of, of his mind, he's thinking about it. I think he can become uh, the the first player since Taylor Hall, or I guess the second player in Devils history to ever win uh, the Hart Memorial Trophy. And if Taylor Hall was able to do it, then why can't Jack Hughes do it? But the thing is, is that Connor McDavid just ran away with it this year. No ands or buts about it. Well, so, here's the thing. McDavid hasn't even won a cup yet. The Devils have a guy like a Jack Hughes who's helping them reach the second round, and they got past their uh, wild card, their wild card expectations. I'd rather have the Jack Hughes than a McDavid. McDavid can go all the way, but fall short many times. And yes, I mean, I get that McDavid is the freaking phenom of the league, but Jack Hughes has a much better potential and a better supporting cast here in New Jersey. And he's more of a special player who can really uh, make the Devils this upcoming season even more dangerous. Jersey Joe, are you saying what I think you're saying? Are you saying that Jack Hughes is above Connor McDavid? He's above Connor McDavid in the value to the team. Okay, value to the team. All right. I just wanted wanted to make sure. It's easy to say, like, oh, McDavid's going to score almost 200 points every season. Doesn't mean crap if you don't get past the first two rounds and to the third round and get closer to the Stanley Cup. And if you don't win the Stanley Cup, no one's going to remember you other than you winning the Hart Trophy. How many people get recognized for the Hart Trophy other than Ilya Kovalchuk and a few others? I mean, I'd rather get the Stanley Cup than the freaking Hart Trophy if I was in Jack Hughes' eyes. Yeah, I mean, I I think you even tweeted uh, that to me when I said, like, could Jack Hughes someday be uh, an MVP winner? And you said yes, but I would rather have a cup. And I think a lot of Devils fans will agree with that in that regard because we've already had a player who's won the Hart Trophy, and that was Taylor Hall. And what did that result in? Getting knocked out in the first round by the Tampa Bay Lightning in, what, like five games? So a gentleman's. So, yeah. uh, Yep. Jack Hughes is um, my MVP this past year for the Devils. But I want to get your take on, and you probably have a unique answer, and I probably already have a feeling who it is. Who is your underrated player? A player who has never gotten any which sort of recognition or has not gotten the recognition he deserves, but yet was so vital on the roster. Who is your underrated player on this team? It's Dawson Mercer. There, There's the reason why I freaking love the kid. He is like Patrice Bergeron, but from Newfoundland. And he played the QMJHL just like him. He's just a lighter version points per game-wise than Bergeron in that career. Similar player, but I could see this kid popping more goals than he did last season. And given that his work ethic, his – his hands are very soft. You know, what I mean is the way he can dangle, protect the puck. And he is just very ambitious. And he's the type of guy you want to have 
through the thick and the thin, playing with a Palat or a Toffoli or playing on a line with a Heesha or a Hughes or uh, let's say a Tomas Noshek, who cares? I mean, as long as he's getting his minutes and he's producing, other teams are going to... I explained this before on um, the Let's Go Devils podcast a few seasons ago against the Kraken the, for the first time they ever played a Kraken. I said, the Devils have Heischer, Hughes, and Dawson Mercer. They're three potential Selkie Trophy winners. That's defense first, and then you create offense. Good freaking luck trying to produce against that line. Yeah, and I think for Dawson, he was given a bigger chance. Uh, especially in January, because uh, I'd say the first few months of the season, he was very underutilized, in my opinion. And then Lindy Ruff was able to bring him up to the top six. And then we saw the combination of him, Thomas Shatar, and Nico Heischer just really thrive, especially in the month of February. And it was to the point where you couldn't break up that line even after they got Timo Meyer. So... Dawson Mercer, that's an interesting choice. I was going to think you would go with like Kevin Ball or uh, another like uh, or uh, another like young defenseman well, or something like that. If you create a category for un- most underrated, unheralded defensemen, absolutely Kevin Ball. I mean, Luke Hughes and Simon and Shimon Nemec already been heralded, but Kevin Ball is just the. I'd look at him as a breed of Chara and Danico. To me, the the big physical snarl doesn't take any BS in the playoffs or the regular season now. To me, he just breathes devil's defense. He plays Sasquatch hockey. I said this before with Jimmy Finizzi on uh, the Blue Seats 94 podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. I said, the, the devils have a guy that can hit a sit rate of four, which is hits and blocks per game. And it's insane. It's like going after uh, Chewbacca. I mean, no. does anyone want to go up against Chewbacca? Come on. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. That's good. The comments are going to have a field day with this. Um, <laughs> okay. Moving on from uh, underrated player, who is your X Factor player? So a player that's in that happy median. They are given a decent amount of credit, maybe not a whole lot or even consistently, but at the same time, they're not underrated either. You know their impact. So that X Factor player, that happy median. Who was your X Factor this season for the Devils? This upcoming season? This past season. This past season. Underrated? I really so, think no, no, about... No, 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 no. Underrated, you said Dawson Mercer, your X-Factor player, X-Factor. X-Factor. So, happy meeting um, between MVP and underrated. It's, it's Jonas Siegenthaler. He is the he is the true linchpin of that stay-at-home defenseman, but he can also chip in offensively like he did in the playoffs. He can hit. He can block shots. He just had an unfortunate uh, game five against Carolina, but you know what? You already have a group that's already growing together. They're maturing together. I know it sounds nonchalant, but uh, these guys from Switzerland, they bring that Swiss guard mentality. They stand up and the the chips are on the table and they really want to uh, make an impact. And 
you know, Timo Meyer, I know that he was the new guy, but he really stepped up in the clutch. And yes, he's talked about in the media, but like not for the right reason. Like he made the Devils a difference maker in game, I mean, in in round one, in those, uh, what was it, games three, five, and seven, if I remember. All I know is, like, he didn't rack up his – so, Timo Meyer was my uh, underrated player. Um, my X-Factor player was Damon Severson, who's no longer on the roster, obviously. But uh, for Timo Meyer, it's just like – he didn't score a single point in round one against the Rangers. We know that that's been documented, but, and we talked about this, look at his hits, look at his physicality, look at him creating shots for himself and others, because I'd say he was one of the best shot creators for the devils in round one against the Rangers. No one's going to bully him. No one's going to, except maybe Jacob Truba. No one's going mm. to um, really bother him all that much near the net. And then his offense was able to uh, take a, a take a new swing in round two against the Hurricanes, especially in that elimination eight game in game five. So yes, a lot of people highlight the fact that he missed an, uh, a wide open opportunity to score, but that was not a game winning goal, nor was that a a go ahead goal. The Devils were already leading, and they blew that lead. It was a it was a one goal lead, but it was an insurance goal. So people need to take that into consideration, which is. The, the, the goal attempt that Meyer missed in game five, it was not a game-tying goal, and it was not a game-winning goal. It was an insurance goal. And the Devils, unfortunately, let Brett Burns score within the final seconds of period number two to tie the game and recapture the momentum for the Hurricanes. But digressing a little bit, Meyer was responsible for the two goals that the Devils scored in game five. He assisted on Dawson Mercer's goal, and then a little later in the game, he scored on the power play. And once again, Meyer just had great dynamic. He had great chemistry with Jack Hughes because if Jack Hughes is ever in a in a mess and he needs to pass it to somebody, he can always guarantee his life that Meyer is going to be in front of the net because, like I said, no one's going to bully Meyer. And in addition to being a great goal scorer, Hughes is also a prolific passer. So... So that's what if Lindy Ruff knows what's best for him, he needs to keep Meyer and Hughes together come next year because Meyer can sh- sort of be like that shield for Hughes because he's so small. And Meyer could sort of be like that bodyguard figure. But at the same time, if, if, if Meyer uh, is down uh, near the net, Hughes could still have that point production, pass it near the net. Meyer's going to finish and clean up and clean it up. It's going to be pretty interesting to see what they can do in 23 and 24. Just learning from 2022 and 23. So going back to your um, X-Factor player, um, I think um, Christy actually said that the same thing. Her X-Factor player was Jonas Siegenthaler because Siegenthaler did get a lot of love, but it's like if he made one mistake, people were going to shun him for it. Yes. It's true. I mean – with all due respect, I agree with uh, Christy a lot with a lot of things. It's just that I disagree with uh, certain fans on the social media platforms. And they're all, I know everyone in life looks for a scapegoat. But 
it's not like when Bryce Salvador was in his the last days of his career with the Devils, and everyone, even myself, kind of went on a tirade against him. But at the same time, like you know, it. I would say this to anyone that would criticize a player: How about you lace with the skates and deal with the same situation, and then come back crying to me? Yeah, I mean that's always the excuse. What? Like, I can't lace them up, but at the same time, if a player makes a mistake, I do have to talk about it. But I do agree with what you and Christy said, which is like, you know, there's always a scapegoat and there's always a player that we need to, um, I guess, quote unquote, blame. And it's one of the reasons why I will never become a coach in any sport is because coaches are always given the least amount of credit if things go right with some exceptions, because, you know, you got some of those coaches that have been in the league for years with the same team and they've seen a lot of Stanley cups. So they're, they're always given the exception, which is if something goes right, they're usually praised. But for the most part, if it, I didn't really hear a lot of people credit Lindy Ruff for the successful season. The devils had, however, when the devils were struggling, who's the first one to be blamed It's Lindy. Lindy. fire Lindy or whatever the case might be. So like when the that season field, that field of fire in the, in the team to get better. And they did get better. Yeah, and it's like, it's so ridiculous when I hear people say, like, here's my hot take. Lindy needs to be fired no matter what. I'm just like, are you kidding me? They're having a historical season. What more do you want? So that, that that's – and I still got those comments when uh, at the end of the season, the season concluded, yes, the Devils were eliminated from the playoffs – but they weren't supposed to be there in the first place, or they weren't projected to be there. If you were to tell me at the beginning of the year that the Devils would get to the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, I would have just said, you're crazy. If they could get to the playoffs, but I said, most likely a first-round exit, maybe. That was I was trying to keep my expectations moderate, but Lindy is one of the main reasons why the Devils had this historical season, but yet, are people going to give him credit for it? Not really. Well, I, I, another I, thing that people should have also given credit to was Andrew Burnett and Ryan McGill. And I will tell you that when you add a couple new bench bosses aside your head coach, even the head coach will learn something new from those assistants. And they pick up each other's brains apart. And I remember hearing before the season, during the preseason, they said that they were working more like a cooperative. And then it just came like the final decision would just head down to Ruff and Ruff would make the last and final call uh, when it was on the bench, which is something that I like that is unique and it's good to have a collective. So now that we got Travis Green in Burnett's place and we got McGill uh, still and we have Breland up in the seats uh, watching the special teams and it's good to have Breland around because Eventually, when Lindy's time comes, I think Breland will be the head coach in like a few years, uh, to be honest, or whenever the change does come. I'm not saying it's going to be imminent. I just still believe that Breland is going to be the guy. And then you can have Travis Green around. Right. So, but we'll see because, you know, uh, Andrew Burnett was lured away from the Devils organization and now He's, gonna, he's the new head coach for the Nashville Predators. So uh, a lot can happen. I don't know how much longer Lindy has. I'd say two to three years maybe. Yeah. I, I don't think a contract has even been announced for Ruff yet. But 
uh, that Tom Fitzgerald did say that Lindy is going to be back behind the bench come next year. And I respect that decision because he had a, uh, what's it called? A very respected uh, coaching season and he got snubbed. And you know who else got snubbed? Was GM of the year, should have been Tom Fitzgerald. Uh, I spoke with Sam Kassan and he goes, Vetsy should have been the GM of the year for what kind of season the Devils had. And I'm like, how do you give the Bruins the, like, of course, when you win the President's Trophy, you could easily be coach of the year. But, like, how about coming from uh, worst in the league, one of the worst teams in the league, to becoming one of the best in the freaking league uh, the year over year? Like, I look at each season as a stock report. Like, look at the year that they had before with the wins and points. The Devils exceeded beyond that kind of growth and going forward if they did what 105 points or 110 they'll get like five more to 15 more points in the standings is what i'm thinking that they'll do probably maximum 120 but i don't want them to win the president's trophy i could care less lose a few games before that Uh, that's a bit of a hot take and a half because Devils have never won the President's Trophy. So I would... don't want it. I want the freaking cup. That's all I want. Yeah, I hear that there's a President's Trophy curse because usually the team that there has... is a curse. It's like the Madden curse, except freaking worse. <laughs> it's like the best team in the league uh, for the regular season doesn't usually end up winning the Stanley Cup. It's like it's like saying. Hi, I'm stupid. I'm really awesome. Punch me. That's what it says. And 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 the Boston Bruins got sucker punched in the back. Yeah, because they had such a historical season. They broke the uh, all-time record for most uh, wins and most points in a single season. Unfortunately, they're now infamously known for blowing a 3-1 lead in the fourth round to the Florida Panthers. And we're going to have to leave it there. So Jersey Joe will be back tomorrow for part two. And we're going to talk about the offseason and our expectations moving forward. That's an episode you do not want to miss. So like I do to close out every episode, thanks for listening. Continue to stay safe. Have a wonderful day, New Jersey. Go Devils. Jersey Joe and I will catch you in the next episode. Thanks for listening once again.